0: Hi everybody! Welcome to Technical Tuesdays. I am your host Peter. Today I have James Audison, CEO and co-founder of Zentient. Welcome, James.
1: Hey, how's it going?
0: Pretty good. Good to have you. It's Great been. Be <laughs> it's been really interesting to follow your journey. You know, from Brand Camp. I thought you would be a really good guest to have on the podcast. So all those wacky
1: things I've done.
0: Yeah. <laughs> one might say inspirational, but yeah, let's find out. Tell us a bit about your personal journey and how you ended up where you are today.
1: Oh god, I don't know how long we have, but yeah, it's been a bit of a <laughs> back and forth one, hey. I guess I've always liked doing, you know, innovative things and entrepreneurship, though I didn't really know what it was called. I just thought it was a you know, called going to a store, buying some hardware parts and and mucking around, I remember as a kid, I wanted to sell these like colorful high bounce balls. And the website actually still exists to this day, unfortunately, you could say. So you can go to wonderballs.wordpress.com and it's it's basically this this website of all these high bounce balls that have got like these yeah. rings of color around them. And what I did is I got like a motor and an electric circuit and I put a hole in them and spun the balls around at high speed and I get like textures, oh. push them onto it. And it'd create like this satin effect. And then I sold them for money and then use those mu- those funds to donate it to a charity. I think that they bought some chickens and some desks uh, for a community <laughs> wow. in regional Africa.
0: I'm looking at it right now. Wow. How long oh, really? ago is this?
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. I think it was when I was about eight. <laughs> oh, this is so this section. <laughs> 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 yeah, for some reason, we just got too excited. And, you know, it's kind of like that startup thing where you just add more and more features because originally it was like a high bounce balls website. Then we added a a section where members could play games. I think we embedded mini clip games onto it.
0: I remember mini um... clip
1: games. (laughs) I used to play the truck
0: ones.
1: (laughs) Truck ones. Oh, I like the pirate one where you shot like the the balls and you had to sink the other (laughs) ships. And then, yeah, so we also have like the worst form of customer validation ever on there. I wrote like, what would you rather do? And it was like this embedded survey on the website and the options were play with a wonder ball, do homework. And who <laughs> would have thought everyone said they'd rather play with a wonder ball. So <laughs> must be good.
0: It was too early for you to read the mom test. Don't you think?
1: <laughs> it was probably. Yeah. It's bit out of my repertoire at that time.
0: Cool. So yeah, that's
1: I guess like my, my sort of backstory as a kid and I always wanted to do more in that space. I think I kind of just fell into the trap of focusing solely on academics through high school, got into university and was doing computer science, data science. And by the time I graduated, I was so fed up with the theoretical sides of computer science and just ready to have an impact that I sort of had that same thing that happens to private school boys when they're not allowed to have a beard or long hair in in private school. And you go back to the one year reunion and everyone suddenly got like a huge beard and grown out hair. It's like the rebound effect. So instead of rebounding and growing a a mustache, I rebounded and started like six different startups all at once. And it was a terrible idea in hindsight because whenever anyone asked about one of them, they'd be like, oh, how's uh, Peach going? And I'd be like, "Uh, yeah, I haven't really done much on it. Been a bit distracted. So eventually I got to the point where I was like, okay, I need to like make a decision. Like what do I want to do with my life? And for me, that came down to two decisions. One was like, where do I want to work? You know, which sector, what kinds of people? And the Uh, second was, what can I provide to that sector? What's my skill set? And the first question was asked, answered for me because I was working with this not-for-profit art gallery and they were every year sending out paper forms to renew their memberships for people. So they'd send it out and they'd get some money back with literally cash in the envelope. And then they'd have to like encode it in excel and be like this person has paid this person hasn't and that was like how they ran their business and i sort of just helped them out by getting them on a memberships platform of like i think it was wordpress and woocommerce and just seeing like what a difference it made to them was so big like they were just shocked by what was possible and i was like you know that just took me like four hours so i think from then on i've wanted to Yeah, spend my time in the not-for-profit sector with technology. And yeah, data science, computer science is obviously something I can bring to that to try and close that divide, which is currently massive. But yeah, it took me having to run a luxury glamping and picnic tent business before I realized that maybe my purpose (laughs) lied elsewhere.
0: (laughs) Wow. Wow, man. Super impressive background. Like six startups at once. Do you mind just saying what those were?
1: Yeah, God, let me try and think. So one was Peach, at, and that yeah, idea was to try and monetize people's browsing data by securely storing it on their device if they were happy to do it. At the same time, I was at the stages of running Brand Camp, which was a digital marketing for good hackathon. Mm-hmm. Um, I was also doing the UNSW Peter Farrell Cup, I think it was called, with a startup called Symposia, which was just an idea to like make Reddit, but better administration and moderation tools. I was also doing freelance stuff. What else have I got on there? I was also doing that tent business. There's some overlap with that one. And oh and Populi, which was an idea to have AI powered qualitative data analytics three mm. years before ChatGPT came out and just took care of that basically. So that was a cool one while it yeah, while it lasted in my mind. Yeah, the idea of like representing text as a connected graph. And the relationships rep- representing like a parent-child relationship. So you'd have like the center node might be, I love Facebook. And it'd be green because the sentiment's strong. And mm-hmm. it'd be big because lots of people have said that in your research finding. Um, mm-hmm. And then it'd have children of like, I love Facebook because it gets it allows me to talk to my friends, which would be smaller and still green. And so at a glance, you can see what everyone has said aggregated together. Because yeah, I'd be doing some market research into a social media that helped the app and just found out that no one wanted it. But at least with this one, it would have shown me that clearly straight away rather than having to read through every interview and cross-reference them to try and find trends and patterns. So yeah.
0: Wow. That's actually super useful. Like, if you think about how many people are conducting customer interviews and like the number of right. customer interviews that they're conducting and like synthesizing that data. You know, I think it's yeah, going from
1: qualitative know, to quantitative is such a huge challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want to you know have like quotes and stuff necessarily what you want is to say oh 70 percent of people mentioned that they would buy instagram or something and so part of mm. the model was that it wasn't just <laughs> what people actually said it was what they implied so there would mm. be like that roll up right so if you say i like instagram because my friends are on it that would also be implied that would also imply that they like instagram so that would count one to that parent node so you could actually yeah you could just see what the central points were and how they all connected and once you've got people in those boxes, you can then start to do things like, does being in this group mean that they're more likely to be in this group, you know, and things like that. Interesting. So, yeah, that was the, the snorkels board. Yeah.
0: Wow, that is quite an interesting journey. So what was your first coding project and what did you learn from it?
1: Yeah, for sure. So I think, yeah, we've touched on my first hardware project. And I think I made the leap to software when I started doing it in school. I think it was year ten. We had a, a unit called computer game design, which mm. I loved. It was so good. It was just like getting to make games. I think we used Scratch a bit, and then yeah, I remember Scratch, Maker drag and drop, Scratches with the like... shit. Oh, yeah, man. Man. <laughs> so good. <laughs> um, and I was yes, yeah, so I got to make a computer, no, a soccer penalty game. And I designed like all these sprites who were like, you know, almost caricatures of popular footballers. And you could like run up and you could choose where you want the penalty to go. And then the goalkeeper would try and guess. It was super fun. And I just had a a great time. I I think I remember how like invested I got in it. You know, it's so easy for that time to just pass by when you're coding. It's one of the best experiences I think that exists. It's just that flow state, right? So that was the first one. And then I think around year 12, I probably started coding my own things. So one of the first ones I wanted was some form of like financial tracker, because at that time I didn't know what accounting was. I mean, I didn't know Xero existed and I was like, you know, spending the money my my parents gave me and that I was making tutoring, I think at that time. So what I had was just this thing I made on Python with a really, really simple UI it would pop up and say, have you spent any money today? And if I had, I'd put it in there or had earned some money, I'd put it in there. And I could and this see, would be like, on your computer. Yeah, yeah, on the computer. And it would show me, like, on the homepage, I could see, like, a bar graph on each day for how much positive or negative I was, as well, like, a sum for the week. It would show me, like, mm. a profit. And the thing that I liked most about it was that I used Google, not Google, Microsoft's schedule tasks function to run it. So it'd run, like, at every day at, sev- like, 7 p.m. Right when like, I'd be studying or something and it would pop up, and I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's right. I got to enter my financials, um, which is a really cool thing to discover. So, yeah, it was really helpful. It's just like a fun little way to learn.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. Really cool. So, what is your day to day? What does your day look like? At the moment? Yeah.
1: At the moment, I've got like a mix between client days and I guess, working from home or more freelance business development days with the the organization Zentient that have recently co-founded as of about two years ago, we operate on a model where instead of being those consultants who kind of come in, do a two-hour scoping meeting and then tell you what you need, our goal is to really humble ourselves so that we actually take about a month of working inside these organizations before we start to have our ideas. So everything we do is from within the organization itself. So... We've just recently started to work with a new organization. So I now spend two days per week actually on site, which is just the best because you get to meet all the great people and also helps from the tech side as well. Right. Because if you get to know people, they're going to be more likely to care about your solution or to trust your rollout of it. And you get to mm. know like what they're looking for. Cause mm. tech is always the easy part. People are always the, the challenge. Great. Yeah. So yeah, that's like where I spend probably about half the day, half the week. And then Yeah, the other half is probably split between any freelance projects I've got on. So sometimes that's software development, as well as just working on the organisation itself. Because yeah, when you're doing the sort of actual client facing work, it's great, but and it brings in the money, but you know, you've also got to do that Mm organisation improvement to try and move yourself forward so that when that ends and when you've got more time, you've got the next client banging at your door.
0: Nice. Looks you got looks like you got everything lined up. So outside of work, do you have any hobbies, interests, passions that intersect with like your technical skills?
1: Yeah, I think I, I've always gone through the mindset of, I think three things is a good amount for any person to do at one time. I think you've got to have that sort of nine to five, reliable, pays the bills kind of thing. I think you've got to have that like side hustle that's like, on top of that, you know, what are you really passionate about? And, you know, could be the next big thing and then some kind of like hobby that completely contrasts against the others. And it's just like completely for refreshment and for rejuvenation. And it's easy. So for me, yeah, outside of work, I like to make sure I save enough time to just do random things. I think even in a startup, right, like it gets to a point where it's sort of stable. And every day becomes a little bit more similar. You kind of know what track you're you're treading. Like at the moment, as much as we're sort of agile and pivoting every day you know we kind of do know that right next step is we need to launch our new website then we're going to do a marketing push then we're going to evaluate the demand for our service then we can you know iterate off the back of that but like it's, it's clear steps i think what i've been missing sometimes is like just the the thrill of doing that random new project and just diving into a code editor and seeing what you can like whip out really quickly so like yeah there's been times over the last year or two where i've just done some fun projects like one was called handshake the idea being that you know when you're at a conference and you're meeting people it's tedious to type in your details to their phone or to exchange contact information likewise there are scenarios when you're out like clubbing when it's just so loud that you can't talk to them so the idea behind handshake is that it's an app where you put in your details once and for all and then to, to share and exchange your contact details, all you have to do is shake your phone next to theirs. It detects wow. the motion. And then via GPS, detects whether you're within one meter. And if you are, it will exchange your contact information super easily and pop up on your screen, would you like to add this as a contact to your phone? So that was like a fun one, which was, I think I had like a week where I just had nothing on. I was like, let's just do something cool. Learn mobile app development. But yeah, wow, I think just nice. leaving time for things outside of work is good.
0: Mm. Cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. Are there any mentors or influencers in the tech world who've had a significant impact on your career or coding philosophy?
1: I work a lot with a guy called Mark who's like a lot more senior than me. But I guess there's no real people that come to mind in terms of, you know, like heroes or, or people I really follow. I kind of just follow whatever interests me at the time. Yeah, and often I just follow like where the rabbit hole on YouTube goes. Sometimes I'll be like, oh, let's learn about how to use Docker for development or power apps or whatever. So not really. I don't think so.
0: I guess you already touched on this before, yeah. but maybe you could drive it home a little bit. What does work-life balance look like to you and how do you achieve it as a developer?
1: Yeah, well, I've been torn on this one because I think two years ago I would have said that I'm a huge fan of work-life harmony. It's like, don't have like cutoff between your work and your home life, just have like mm-hmm. one life that includes both of them really really tightly you know like oh I already love doing this so why not just do it for work etc but last year was tough like last year I probably pushed myself a little bit too much and probably didn't share the load enough and all of a sudden it was just like everything was work I was working seven days a week wow. no scheduled breaks <laughs> I've taken a holiday in like three years and it just like wasn't effective like I stopped being a good leader I stopped looking you know I had tunnel vision yeah so I think now I'm trying to move to a model where I do set myself time off I think the first step for that was to say that like any time after 6 p.m or on weekends is like guilt-free time where it's like if I feel like doing work you know sure why not but also if I don't then it's like no questions asked like just don't do the work And recently I've been experimenting more with having work as a location rather than a thing I do. because I felt like in the past, I've just been, you know, you're in your bedroom or you're around the house. You're like, what do I want to do? And it's easy to just choose work because it's right Mm -hmm. there. But now I'm thinking that, look, it's really cool having a work be a place you go. And I think this is what the client's client site work I've done has shown me. Like, it's great where you just leave at five and you leave all your work there and you pick it up next week when you get back. But it's, it's just so relaxing to the point now where my brain, I think, has started switching off better at the end of the day because it knows that it's home and it's it's safe to do so. Wow,
0: that's interesting. I think I could learn a few things from that. So I, I <laughs> often find myself wanting to do some work. But I think recently I, I tried to put control and separate yeah. work from home and that sort of thing. I guess my next question is... I reckon as well... I, Sorry, no, no. Go on. Should
1: I on. hop in? No. Yeah, of course. I was just gonna say. I think what works really well is because, like, there's no there's no difference for me in terms of like you know how much work I'm doing. It's just like now there's the friction of if I do want to work on the weekends or work overtime, I have to go to like a co-working space or a hub. So because mm. for me that work is still that location, you truly can, but it stops you from just like sliding between work and relaxation. Because mm. I think I struggled for a while with like where's the balance between discipline and like looking after yourself so that you can actually have that energy. And I think what Mm -hmm. it is, is like, instead of going, Oh, I'm full focus at 8 a.m. in the morning, I sort of dip, I dip. And then eventually you just like stop being productive. You're still there doing the work. I think what it looks like is as soon as you realize that, Oh cool, I'm crashing after lunch. You do have that like 15 minute break, or you do have that like 30 minute nap or whatever it takes. So you're disciplined with your rest as well as your, your work, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I think having a physical location to go to to do that work is really helpful for that.
0: Yeah. That's what I've can I have a bounce with. back question on this? Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, so what about those developers or people that prefer to work remotely? How can they, if they have no physical location, implement this? Should they have a physical location within their home where work is done separate from you know where they relax?
1: Yeah, I think that would probably be a good, good step or like find a a local library or whatever it it takes. Yeah, it is a tough one because I I do definitely appreciate that side of it as well. Like, you know, it's it's great having your own development environment where, you know, for me, it's turning off the lights and having like the windows shut and just like, it's just me and the screen. But I've been able to find a way to do that, you know, at the co-working space I'm at, which has been really great. Like I just book out a big meeting room, turn off the lights, shut out the world and, you know, I feel a bit guilty for booking a 80-person room and using the
0: projector projectors What, what, what co-working space is this, if you don't mind me asking? This is Bloom, yeah. Bloom, UWA or Curtin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bloom, UWA. <laughs> Interesting.
1: <laughs> I just got the big lab, yeah.
0: Oh, nice, nice. Cool. <laughs> oh, sorry, I can... Next question. Again, similar to what we just saw we were discussing, but it's around how do you deal with stress and pressures that come with being in the tech-related field?
1: Mm, that's a good question i think i'm only just starting to get better at this to be honest okay. i think for the longest time i didn't realize how stressed i was i think literally all of last year i was probably dri- driven by adrenaline and caffeine wow. and lack of sleep and to the point where i started having this thing where when was it maybe about a month ago i was drinking like you know a bit of coffee and i was still like going off that adrenaline that sort of like just hectic life mode and when I hit that period of having two or three weeks of no projects on or you know a lot less than I was used to I got this like with I got these withdrawals where when I started having caffeine again around like two or three in the afternoon I just feel this weird sense of like dread and anxiety and it was so bizarre like I was in this client meeting and pitching our services and all of a sudden I just had this like Feeling that I was just going to burst into tears, and I had no idea what was going on. And I think what it was is just like my body was so used to stress that when it finally subsided, it was wasn't sure to do with itself. Yeah, I think yeah. So I've been trying to get better at like how do you manage that? How do you look after yourself? I think one of them for me has been to like you know cut back on the caffeine because ultimately that's like sort of stimulating the same thing that that stimulates the fight and flight response but also just trying to learn how to like self-soothe. So I was at an awards night on Friday and about 30 minutes before, I was still at the department still buying myself a tie because like entrepreneurs don't have ties. Like what the (laughs) fuck is that? Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I had to buy myself cufflinks and a tie. (laughs) And I was like rushing over to this place. It's like some fancy hotel. So like, obviously my heart's racing. I'm a bit stressed already. It wasn't great, but luckily I got there about 10 minutes before and I was able to just sort of sit there I'd focus on my breathing and just doing that kind of helped, which was really, really nice so that I wasn't a nervous wreck going on stage because, yeah, public speaking scares the shit out of me. So, yeah, being able to bring myself back down and calm myself was was great. But I'm a big fan of those sorts of micro breaks just throughout the day. Mm. Uh, You know, in in the context of an eight-hour workday, five minutes is so insignificant. Like you probably spend that going to the toilet or making a coffee like mm. just taking that five minutes to sit down. I try and do like morning lunch and then afternoon tea kind of time But like, mm. just doing that and just being like, how am I going? Checking yourself, close your eyes and breathe. And yeah, that's kind of a, what I've been doing. But I've also been planning a, a daily journal template. This is one of like my wacky ideas kind of thing. I was like, man, you know what I really want is not just a, a notebook, but I actually want my own formatted diary. Because mm. I want to do the same things every day. You know, it might be, you know, you want to do a gratitude prompt or you might want to do like mm. setting your dream intention and reviewing whether you had a lucid dream. You know, it could be any of that shit, but I want that template the same for every day. So do I have one near? don't think I do. But yeah, so for me, it's like the dreams. It's the morning, like, you know, what's my goal? What are my outcomes mm. that I want to have? Then in during the day, I've got like a random thought and like something that made me smile. Which is a good way of being like, you know, throughout the day if something comes up, you are oh, wow, that was really good, put it in there and then end of the night, you know. Even just a simple one like, what was the highlight of today? Every every night asking yourself that question is a good way to just stay present. And really yeah, nice, I really happening. love
0: that. I'm happy to share with a, a template I made on Notion for myself. So Ooh, yeah, be great. yeah, like it's called yeah, a it gratitude journal and you kind of have to do it every night and it's like a database of journal entries. And another one that I do on a weekly basis yeah. is, like, what did I learn? Who am I going to shout out mm. to? What are some key resources? What's a funny meme? <laughs> and then I, like, just share it out <laughs> to, to, like, people.
1: So, yeah, happy. Yeah, happy. I love shooting. that. That's so good. I think the, the one you learned, what did you learn about yourself is such a great one to have. Because, like, every day, you know, we'll have thoughts about, like, oh... So I'm really bad at, like, taking myself out on adventures when there's no one else that's, like, asked me to come out. Like, that's good to know. Like, I should probably do that more proactively. Yeah, no, that's a great great way to stay present and always, yeah, improving yourself and looking out for yourself.
0: Yeah, of course. Next question on a... What book, non-technical or technical, has had the most influence on your career?
1: Mm, I think career-wise, it's got to be Good to Great by Jim Collins. Have you read it?
0: No, no, I haven't actually. Oh, add it
1: to your list, my man. That is just okay. one of the best books I've read. I listened to the audiobook, which is narrated by the author, which always is she said, a plus good, in my book. Good to great. Yeah, good to great. That has basically just sort of shaped my entire philosophy to business. The idea I set, I guess that one of the biggest ideas behind it is that the order of success for a business is first you find disciplined people. Mm. Then you have disciplined thought. And then based on disciplined thought you get disciplined action he breaks it down into certain things like he's the idea behind it is it's not just you know another guy giving his business philosophy like so many books you know it's easy to have a thought or an idea behind it but what they've done is like 10,000 hours worth of research at Harvard wow. and based on that they've sort of isolated what are the common themes between that make the difference between the good businesses and the ones that go to great and they actually like measured that based on market performance so they took like yeah a set of companies that did about 10 times or or near to 10 times the returns versus their competitors over like a 15-year period and then for each one they found a comparison company that just stayed average and then yeah so based on that they were able to say that look these ones did exceptionally these ones didn't what's the difference between the two categories and they isolated things like one that's called the stockholm paradox you know like a good Mm -hmm. leader confronts the brutal facts, but never loses sight and never loses hope. Yeah. And things like, you know, a great leader will be critical of themselves, but easy on others and easy, you know, quick to praise others. And yeah, so it's, it's just a great way of approaching everything you do. And for me, that definitely rings true. And it sounds like for yourself as well, in terms of, you know, finding people to work with, it's just the most important thing, because if you're there for the idea, then if the idea changes, it tears you apart. Yeah. Or if you're there for the people, then no matter what happens, you're gonna to stick together and explore what you're interested in. Mm-hmm. And I think like that's me and my co-founder, Steven, you know, like if if for whatever reason is is a complete terrible idea, no one wants it, no one cares. Like we'll we'll keep the name, we'll keep the branding. We'll probably just like do something it. else. Yeah, exactly, right? Because it's <laughs> yeah, us yeah, holding no. it together. I do think it's you and Steven
0: idea. are such a really good combination. And I still can't put my finger on it why it is, but like, it's like, you're like different, but you're also very similar in thinking it's, it's, it's weird, yeah, you know, we're very,
1: we just click. I don't know what it is. Yeah. I think we just got very lucky to be honest. I don't know. Like, yeah, yeah. If we weren't doing business. And even though we are doing business, you know, he's like one of my best friends. And I think that, yeah, when we do our best work is when we're just two <laughs> mates having some fun and not thinking too hard about it.
0: Yeah. This could yeah. this could be probably also in my other podcast that I'm planning to start called Daily Grind. But you know, yeah, I, yeah. I would love to explore like this co-founder relationship and dynamic, mm. how you manage conflicts, how you put things to the test. But yeah, yeah
1: absolutely. I mean, I'll I I when... give a, a taster here if you want. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of
0: course, of course. Come yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: I think for me, like it's just where vulnerability is like the heart of everything for us. I think my mantra is very much that everything can be solved with a vulnerable conversation. Um, mm, there have been like times that. when he's he's done something that you know made it hard on me, or maybe I did something that seems small at the, at the time to myself, but maybe he you know took it the wrong way, and we've just been like you know it's 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 uncomfortable, right? Like no one wants mm. to do it, but you sit down, and you're like, hey, like that made me feel this way, and it's it's just so raw, but I don't know, you've got to you've got to have those moments. Because when you do, what comes out of it is just so special. Um, Mm. You know, you've got this partner in your co-founder that can ride the highs and lows and realistically the only person who will ever understand what it's like on the inside of that organization. So, yeah. That's
0: really deep, man. Even for a taster. (laughs) 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 Really (laughs) good. I will appreciate it. I guess my next question is, how do you manage to continue learning and stay motivated in a rapidly changing field, like, you know, tech, things are always Mm. coming up. I don't know. I think it's
1: easy for me because like one of my biggest values is curiosity. And I'm just naturally a curious person. Nice. I will, I mean, sometimes to a fault, like I'll just click on a link and be like, Oh, that's interesting. Mm. Like, you know, Wikipedia, like, Oh man, like I always go down like seven layers just being like, Oh, and this person's related to this thing. That's cool. So I don't know. I guess for me, it's, when you do have those moments of what do I want to learn, like saving that time to just do those wacky projects, like that handshake one, you know, what I what I'll usually do is go, okay, what have, I, what have I been meaning to learn for a while? In that case, it was like mobile app development. How do I build a mobile app? That sounds cool. And at that point, you know, maybe going onto some YouTube tutorials or, or playing around or exploring what's out there. Yeah, I think it's just stay curious, which is... You know, pros and cons, like the typical way of making a lot of money as a software developer in any industry is to just do the same thing. And each time you do it, it's quicker and quicker, but you charge the same Mm -hmm. amount, right? You're making more profit. But I don't know. I just can't do that. Like I just get too bored. Like for me, the projects I take on in like my freelance capacity, are just the ones that excite me and that make me go, oh, that'd be cool. I have no idea how to do it, but I hope I will. Yeah. I like I almost only take projects that are too big for me. If that makes sense, like
0: wow, it's like a always growing kind of mentality. So you know, I had yeah. a question in my head because you said you're like yeah, naturally yeah. curious. Do you think, as a mm. you know founder of your organization, the curiosity is one of the values that Zentian has?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think we, I think experimentation is one of our values, mm. and like the courage to just try something. And we actually ask for it in our interview question. You know, we say like when have you challenged like conventional wisdom and like, what did you learn? Like, yeah, if if you're not asking the questions, then you're not listening, I guess. If you think you already know all the answers, then, you know, maybe you have one iteration of a business and it will succeed or fail, most likely fail. Mm -hmm. We've already gone through three iterations of our business model and we might be going through a fourth soon, depending on how things turn out. And so for us, like big part of that was doing a huge research project, just listening to Not-for-profit leaders hearing about the the struggles that they faced, what the pain points were. Yeah, I think you can't be driven by too much by like, you know, the success and the monetary value. I think there's got to be that deeper level of like just genuine curiosity to explore the problem from the minds of your customers. Yeah, that's what keeps me going. Like I could never just sit still because of that curiosity.
0: Wow. (laughs) Love that. Really good. (laughs) To the next question, what is one misconception people often have about your job?
1: Oh man, everyone, no one understands what we're doing, partly because we don't understand what we're doing, right? Like, this is what part you guys of the startup. <laughs> well, we're calling ourselves a digi a cultural architecture collective, okay? So, let me break it down. Break it down culture. So, digital culture, I think, is like the next big trend we're going to see in technology consulting at the moment. It's all like digital transformation, there's digital transformation that, but what tends to happen in the not-for-profit sector is you get all these great technologies coming in. You know, typically you might get a grant for say a Salesforce or Microsoft Dynamics, and you start to roll it out and you've got to stick exactly to what you've specified in the grant. And the not-for-profit goes, oh, we actually don't like that too much. Or you maybe you realize that it's not quite gonna be fit for purpose. And so, you know, over the course of that project, people throw in more features, more bug fixes, until eventually you get to that delivery date and you've kind of got a a cobbled together solution and you've ran out of time to do any documentation because you're trying to make it fit. And if you're lucky, they'll maybe use it for like two weeks. If an executive is like, guys, we've got this new software, we spent a hundred grand on it, we must use it. But often what happens is they go, oh, actually, you know what, this is too much. Like, let's just go back to what we had. Because a lot of not-for-profits until you get to about 10 million annual revenue in Australian dollars, which is like, what, $5 pounds. They don't have a CTO. So they've got no one in there doing their digital strategy, leading digital transformation efforts at all. And all these organisations, they don't actually raise the bar for what that digital capability looks like, partly because it's not done holistically. It's done at the level of organisation thinks they need a new website, they go to a website designer, they get one, but no one actually comes in and goes, Okay, let's look at how your accounting software talks to your workplace software, which talks to this, and in most cases, it doesn't. So what we're trying to do is actually to architect that out like a you know, picture, a blueprint, and we've mapped out, here are your teams, here are your softwares, here are your data sources, here's your entity relationships that exist in, the, in all the software you're using. And we go, look, you've got a clear integration missing link between Xero and the payroll system or whatever it might be. Or actually, these people here are interact- interacting with this software, but there's no standardized way for how they should be doing so and you get then a situation where someone new joins the the organization and they're like oh how do I learn what systems to use for what and how to use them and all they can do is resort to talking to someone that sits next to them like Jason and Jason's like oh yeah here's how I do it and then Mm -hmm. they talk to someone else and they do it a completely different way and there's just no like digital etiquette so that's what we're really interested in is that like digital culture you know, it's like the, the behaviors. I'm such a big fan do, of yeah. that.
0: No, sorry, oh, go. You.
1: No. And then, so what, what we try to do is to, if we can be the architects of that. And so it's a different model, you know, we work from within the organization, helping them identify those weak spots, then we can bring in the specialists in those fields, you know, having actually assessed what, what needs to be fixed. Yeah. And we use like a, a building a house model for what, how to build digital mm. culture. So we say, look, firstly, we do the surveying, in which case we just spend about a month in their organization speaking to people, almost like a customer interview. You know, we speak to mm. each staff member, say like, what do you hate or what could be better? And yeah, and we do a few like problem, problem workshops where we try and get like as a group together, then, you know, what they all think the problem is, make a problem statement, as well as then doing the flip side of that which is coming up with like what's the vision for the organization and coming up with what the solutions could look like and by the end of it we've sort of presented look here's the here's the, the situation and then we do the architecture which is where we say here's what we think you should be moving towards and then we do the building and we have what we call tradies which are the people we bring in that are specialized <laughs> in their skills yes. to do the yeah. you know app development or whatever it might be so yeah it's kind of where we're at Cool. Yeah.
0: Man, I really like that because I'm a strong believer in like systems and processes like are really important and like it's a good way to Absolutely. benchmark your performance over time. And if you if like a, if a team or an organization can't even agree, like individuals within the team can't kind of agree yeah. on that, how are you gonna transform it over time? And I think it's really cool how you guys <laughs> go in like a fly on the wall, observe what's going on, talk to people. <laughs> And then you come up, I'm just, again, making assumptions at the end of the month and saying, hey, here's what you guys need to to do or this is what we've observed and these are the things that we can plug in. Yeah,
1: we sort of approach it in an agile fashion where we go like instead of having a project plan that we stick religiously to, what we do is we say at the end of that survey, you know, we've got a list of all the challenges that people have listed and what we'll do each month is we have what we call like a dream team workshop where we bring together a cross section of the organization, you know, maybe five people. And we go okay which one would we like to tackle this month and it might be the website loads too slowly which is something that's very simple or it might be something like the process for submitting timesheets is paper-based and we go, okay what does like the minimum viable solution to this look like and it might just be let's try replacing one paper form with a jot form or a google form or whatever or it might be okay let's try optimizing the images that we have on our site and then at the end of the month we review like how was that did that work You know, did staff appreciate that sort of transition to the electronic forms, or was it really difficult because we need to do some more training around it, or was the form just too long? And then what we do is, in that next Dream Team workshop, we sort of revise it and think about how can we change that? So it's really using like that, I guess, startup methodology, to be honest, to to solve problems within an organization. But yeah, just being inside them, being inside the organization is so much more, more powerful. Part of like my role is to just get people excited about technology. Because a lot of the time, these people are, especially in the profit sector, older, less experienced with with the new tools. Um, Mm. So just spruking that is a powerful tool for change.
0: Nice, nice. Cool. Next question. Can you tell us about a time when you failed at something and what did you learn from it?
1: Oh, yeah, this is a fun one. So (laughs) last year, I basically had a double whammy of going broke. (laughs)
0: Say that again. (laughs) Double whammy of what? Of going broke.
1: Okay. Okay. Running out of funds to put. Nice. Yeah. Uh, so the first one happened with the business where we we sort of had this big project that was wrapping up and we hadn't really planned the future and we were still paying a lot in wages every fortnight. So we were just watching our bank account do like a bit of this one, um, mm. which wasn't very fun. And we, at one point, it was so bad that we were going to go insolvent. But what we had to do was that we had to ask one of our clients, like, hey, can you please pay us like three days early so that we don't go negative? So that was the position we found ourselves. And after that, you know, we, so we got that invoice paid ahead of time. We had to make some changes in staff and we just drastically reduced our overheads really quickly. But that was a very near miss. But even though we sort of averted that one crisis, overall that, that year, like my personal finances were doing this one as well. So yeah, around like November last year I think I was so broke that I had to ask my parents for fifty dollars so that I could renew my bus pass. Oh. Yeah. I mean it's tech tech is funny though, right? Because in theory I was broke, but realistically I had a project that was coming forward and then all of a sudden once I've got that invoice paid I was gonna be completely fine again. Yeah, yeah. But it's definitely been a focus this year to sort of look out for myself first. Because, yeah, it's, yeah, it's think...
0: such a tricky one, isn't it? Like, companies are always like dealing with insolvency. Like, it's always a near miss, you know? And it's <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's definitely a, a, a matter of luck in a way, like how lucky you are. Because, like,
1: when the projects line up and things like that, it's, you know, and it's hard as well when you do like a service business because you're so invested sometimes in delivering for the client that you forget that you're supposed to be looking for your next job after that one. And mm. you sort of just come out the other side, you're like, oh, whoops, we didn't plan for this. And the other side that makes it hard, I think, is that when you love your startup so much, it's kind of like a baby. And for me and Steven, you know, it's kind of like Zentient was our baby and we we're putting so much love and care and, and money into it. And at the same time, we weren't drawing money out of it. So it was kind of like this spoiled baby where the parents were not really doing that well, but, you know, we were giving everything we could to Zentient to have this great life. And... What we realise is that in the end that's not good for the baby. Like, mm. you know, whether the money's in Zentient or whether it's in one of our bank accounts really doesn't make much difference. And so all we're doing by funneling things things through there is like just yeah, drawing funds from this family unit. So, you know, I think one of the things we changed was to make sure that we paid ourselves for all the work we were doing so that we weren't making it seem like we're making more profit than we actually were, you know, by subsidizing mm. the cost of our labour. Mm. Um, And then also for me, just getting like, now now I've got a job, which is one day a week, which is like super relaxed and that pays a lot of my like overhead bills, which is just so nice. So I don't have to worry too much because yeah, I think when we've done best as a business is when we've been just enjoying it and the two of us can just have fun and not have to stress so much rather than like knowing that we must hit a certain sales target each month. Yeah. So that's, I guess, how we've sort of changed things this year and just generally sort of taking things at a slower pace. But in a more elastic fashion, where if we get work, it's great. If we don't get work, you know, nothing's going to go wrong. Yeah. yeah.
0: Love that. If you could go back to the start of your career, yeah, yeah. what advice would you give your younger self?
1: Ooh. I, I, I do toss up whether I regret doing my undergraduate degree. <laughs> I think I do. Really, (laughs) I think I wish I just went out on my own because all the best things I learned about technology, I learned from doing projects. Like when I think about the true lessons learned, the true coding skills, if I'd just not done that, like, I mean, sometimes when I do appearances at like high schools and I just like meet kids and I'm like, what, what interests you and whatnot? Like, do you want to go to university? And they're all like, Oh yeah, I want to go to uni. I want to do an undergraduate degree. And I'm like, let me tell you, let me ask you a question. What would you do if I gave you three years and $30,000. And no one says go to uni, like who wants to do that, right? Like the, the lessons you can learn with that, right? Yeah. Like you could do, you could start a, a, a company, you could like just take time off and like teach yourself to code while overseas, you know, like in some cool country being a digital nomad, like that's, that's a lot of power. And Absolutely. Half of my course was just being referred to resources, which I could have very easily just found myself.
0: Yeah, so, I f- yeah, I find I uni know. learning. Sorry, no, no, no sorry, go on. I, I'm bad. I find uni learning can be very structured and like mm. it does have some pros and cons, but you know, I to an extent agree with you. Like, a lot of my technical ability was by through doing, but like, okay, I want to build this, and then yeah, find out how do I build this step by step and like failing at it and then going back and like where did I go wrong and like trying to fix it until it works
1: exactly. And yeah, I agree. And that's the other thing, right? University doesn't set you up, I think, for success in your career in certain places because there's no professor that's going to tell you like, oh, hey, just get a pass on this one. It doesn't need to be perfect. Or like this one, you do want to focus on. Like they all just want perfection every time. Mm. And in the long run, perfection gets you nowhere. Like it's better to learn and to fail. And as an employer, you know, you prefer to have someone who you can say, look, I want a rush job on this one. It just needs to get across the line so you can prioritize this one. But we're kind of creating graduates who have a problem doing anything that's less than perfect. And mm. that's terrible as a startup founder because you're afraid to take risks. You're afraid to be wrong. You know, it's something you have to kind of coach these these grads into doing. So, yeah, that was something you had to unlearn,
0: I guess. Nice. Another question. Has your career in technology affected your outlook on the world or your personal life?
1: Yeah, I think maybe my knowledge has been, I don't know, I I toss it up. I think sometimes knowing how technology works and thinking about things like privacy and cybersecurity and Mm. AI, it goes, hmm, like this is a lot more (laughs) potentially problematic than people realize,
0: I think. Yeah, yeah, of course. Like,
1: I think people don't quite realize, even especially speaking to like my parents, people don't understand really what. ChatGPT is doing behind the scenes I think people still see it as like a a search engine in that sort of demographic they're like oh I'm just going to like put in like red poppy flowers quote or something and it will like spit it out they don't realise that it's like you can talk to it I don't know I think it'll be really interesting how we navigate that side of things and like the how you you know fix bias and make sure AI is you know going to be good for society and not just for the person that's trying to get something done I think Privacy Privacy is a weird one. As much as I want to be concerned about it, I kind of just prefer convenience, which I feel like I almost feel guilty saying that as someone who's in software. But at the end of the day, Google makes my life easier and I'd take that. Actually, I was looking yesterday, you can see in your account what they know about you. Mm
0: -hmm. So
1: I clicked on it and it said, oh, you're male, you're like 20 to 25. I'm like, yeah, that's so, so good so far. And then I get to the section that says relationship status, and it says, in a relationship. And I'm like, I'm single. And Google thinks <laughs> I'm in a relationship. And I'm like, thank you, Google. Like, you've got my back. But unfortunately, at the moment, that is not the case.
0: <laughs> and I guess the know that I can even, as well. they can tell your voice by like your voice prompts and stuff like that. And they like store records mm. of your voice. So it's, yeah, it's yeah. a lot of stuff that people don't really know about.
1: Literally. Yeah, and Spotify, I know, like recently signed a deal to give them enhanced tracking. So, yeah, if you like start listening to a song while you're at the bank, it'll like pick you up your your location. Yeah. Wow. Interesting.
0: What would you be doing if you weren't in the tech industry?
1: I don't know. I think for me, there's a lot of overlap with language learning. I think Mm. learning to code is very, very similar. I think that's part of the reason. I don't know if you've had this yourself. I think that it's easy for us to pick up languages because we've already been doing it. And if anything, it's less difficult because in languages like shared structures, whereas in code, you know, it differs between languages. You've got to memorize the keywords and the order of the arguments, mm. etc. Yeah, I think I, I really enjoy linguistics and I'm a huge word nerd. You know, like the other day, my, my flatmate was saying she was starting a remedial law unit and I'm like, remedial, re- medial again, going to the center. And I was like, that makes so much sense because in remediation, you're like making amends and you're trying to like recenter your relationship to be fair. Right. I'm like, that's cool. So it's just like those weird things or I'll like look it up on, on Google. i like, what's the etymology of this word? Where does it come from? And one time as a coding project, I extracted all the, the messages from my friend's chat and I think I wrote it in C. I was just like doing a comparison of the frequency use of each word. And it was super cool to wow. see like when, when I started saying ah, ha, ha with like six letters, all my friends started using that variation. Whereas when I started wow. using like just five letters, that one became more popular. Wow. So, and at one point we tried introducing a new word to see if like our friend would fall for it. And so me and my mate Tom decided to create this word "bapt," which we said just meant the F word. And,
0: <laughs> wow.
1: and he started using it and to the point where he started using it in conversation with friends. And then they were like, what do you mean? That's not a word. <laughs> and I'm like, we yeah. got you, mate. <laughs> so, no, that was super fun. And then other words, like gym, where we all started gymming. And then two months later, after the hype had been, like, worn off and we just all stopped gymming. You could see, like, the, the trend in the word. It was great. Wow. <laughs> then no, Should you make some really of cool. your
0: projects public, mate?
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Maybe one day.
0: Anything surprising about yourself that not a lot of people know?
1: <sighs> What's surprising? I guess I, I write music. I've got 3 albums on Spotify. Oh really? And I've got a following in Spain. Well not really following, just this one person who has a playlist of my songs and and she listens a fair bit. What else is Oh, I absolutely love rom-coms. I'm like a huge Chick Flick man. Like Legally Blonde, like Oh, 13 Going on wow. 30. I did not like... know that.
0: I think I know about the music writing. <laughs>
1: <Mee-girls>. <laughs> yeah, all that stuff. I oh, just it's just it gets me in the feels, mate. Like it's just so good.
0: This is why like, Google thinks you're in a relationship. <laughs> well, probably,
1: right? Yeah. I'm surprised Google thinks I'm a man. Yeah. <laughs> like nothing better than like a, a non-alcoholic glass of like red wine and some brie and some crackers and just putting on a, you know, like a the notebook or Notting Hill. Oh, just the best.
0: Yeah. <laughs> nice. Final question. If you had the power to change one thing about the tech industry, what would it be?
1: Ooh. I think maybe how it's taught, I think as well, like teaching entrepreneurial skills to coders, because there's kind of a divide at the moment, right? It's like you're a founder and then almost every founder has to go out and find tech talent. And Mm -hmm. you know, that's hard because you have to get funding because we're expensive, unfortunately, as an industry. And then you find one eventually and then like they don't understand startups and they just like making good code or like everything has to be perfect. Whereas if you could sort of give them that startup mentality from a young age and sort of, you know, focus less on how to make the perfect program, but more how to build a program where you can track what's breaking or what people are using as features so that each week you do a new release and stuff like that. I think that'd be really cool. And I think teaching by, yeah, just doing almost like an incubator where some kids can come and work on their projects. I think that sort of approach rather than the university pathway would be good. I mean, I think also like diversity, inclusion issues in technology need to go further. is an easy one to say. Yeah, I think those those sort of stick out at the moment.
0: Nice, nice, nice. Well, James, thanks a lot for being our <laughs> second guest. Learned so no much worries. about you, and it's, it's very start. clear to see why you are where you are. I think you've put in a lot of work to to keep on improving yourself and to build Zentient. And you know, I can only thank you so much for your time and no, no uh, looking for forward here. to to seeing you progress
1: awesome no sounds great All- <laughs>